Greetings, detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company and our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Calm Mystery the Prophetic Pictures by Nathaniel Hawthorne Read by Perry F. Bruns But this painter, cried Walter Ludlow with animation, he not only excels in his peculiar art, but possesses vast acquirements in all other learning and science. He talks Hebrew with Dr. Mather and gives lectures in anatomy to Dr. Boylston. In a word, he will meet the best instructed man among us on his own ground. Moreover, he is a polished gentleman, a citizen of the world, yes, a true cosmopolite. For he will speak like a native of each clime and country on the globe, except our own forests, whither he is now going. Nor is all this what I most admire in him. Indeed, said Eleanor who had listened with a women's interest to the description of such a man. Yet this is admirable enough. 
surely it is, replied her lover, but far less so than his natural gift of adapting himself to every variety of character, insomuch that all men, and all women too, Eleanor, shall find a mirror of themselves in this wonderful painter. But the greatest wonder is yet to be told. Nay, if he have more wonderful attributes than these, said Eleanor, laughing, Boston is a perilous abode for the poor gentleman. Are you telling me of a painter or a wizard? In truth, answered he, that question might be asked much more seriously than you suppose. They say that he paints not merely a man's features, but his mind and heart. He catches the secret sentiments and passions, and throws them upon the canvas like sunshine, or perhaps, in the portraits of dark-souled men, like a gleam of infernal fire. It is an awful gift, added Walter, lowering his voice from its tone of enthusiasm. I shall be almost afraid to sit to him. Walter, are you in earnest? exclaimed Eleanor. For heaven's sake, dearest Eleanor, do not let him paint the look which you now wear, said her lover, smiling, though rather perplexed. There, it is passing away now, but when you spoke, you seemed frightened to death, and very sad besides. What were you thinking of? Nothing, nothing, answered Eleanor hastily. You paint my face with your own fantasies. Well, come for me tomorrow, and we will visit this wonderful artist. But when the young man had departed, it cannot be denied that a remarkable expression was again visible on the fair and youthful face of his mistress. It was a sad and anxious look, little in accordance with what should have been the feelings of a maiden on the eve of wedlock. Yet Walter Ludlow was the chosen of her heart. Ah, look, said Eleanor to herself. No wonder that it startled him if it expressed what I sometimes feel. I know by my own experience how frightful a look may be, but it was all fancy. I thought nothing of it at the time. I have seen nothing of it since. I did but dream it. And she busied herself about the embroidery of a ruff, in which she meant that her portrait should be taken. The painter of whom they had been speaking was not one of those native artists who, at a later period than this, borrowed their colors from the Indians and manufactured their pencils on the furs of wild beasts. Perhaps if he could have revoked his life and prearranged his destiny, he might have chosen to belong to that school without a master in the hope of being at least original, since there were no works of art to imitate nor rules to follow. But he had been born and educated in Europe. People said that he had studied the grandeur or beauty of conception, and every touch of the master hand, in all the most famous pictures in cabinets and galleries and on the walls of churches, till there was nothing more for his powerful mind to learn. Art could add nothing to its lessons, but nature might. He had, therefore, visited a world whither none of his professional brethren had preceded him, to feast his eyes on visible images that were noble and picturesque, yet had never been transferred to canvas. 
America was too poor to afford other temptations to an artist of eminence, though many of the colonial gentry on the painter's arrival had expressed a wish to transmit their lineaments to posterity by moans of his skill. Whenever such proposals were made, he fixed his piercing eyes on the applicant and seemed to look him through and through. If he beheld only a sleek and comfortable visage, though there were a gold-laced coat to adorn the picture and golden guineas to pay for it, he civilly rejected the task and the reward. But if the face were the index of anything uncommon in thought, sentiment, or experience, or if he met a beggar in the street with a white beard and a furrowed brow, or if sometimes a child happened to look up and smile, he would exhaust all the art on them that he denied to wealth. Pictorial skill being so rare in the colonies, the painter became an object of general curiosity. If few or none could appreciate the technical merit of his productions, yet there were points in regard to which the opinion of the crowd was as valuable as the refined judgment of the amateur. He watched the effect that each picture produced on such untutored beholders and derived profit from their remarks, while they would as soon have thought of instructing nature herself as him who seemed to rival her. Their admiration, it must be owned, was tinctured with the prejudices of the age and country. Some deemed it an offense against the Mosaic law, and even a presumptuous mockery of the Creator, to bring into existence such lively images of His creatures. Others, frightened at the art which could raise phantoms at will and keep the form of the dead among the living, were inclined to consider the painter as a magician, or perhaps the famous black man of old witch times, plotting himself in a new guise. These foolish fancies were more than half believed among the mob. Even in superior circles, his character was invested with a vague awe, partly rising like smoke wreaths from the popular superstitions, but chiefly caused by the varied knowledge and talents which he made subservient to his profession. Being on the eve of marriage, Walter Ludlow and Eleanor were eager to obtain their portraits as the first of what they doubtless hoped would be a long series of family pictures. The day after the conversation above recorded, they visited the painter's rooms. A servant ushered them into an apartment where, though the artist himself was not visible, there were personages whom they could hardly forbear greeting with reverence. They knew, indeed, that the whole assembly were but pictures, yet felt it impossible to separate the idea of life and intellect from such striking counterfeits. Several of the portraits were known to them, either as distinguished characters of the day or their private acquaintances. There was Governor Burnett, looking as if he had just received an undutiful communication from the House of Representatives and were inditing a most sharp response. Mr. Cook hung beside the ruler whom he opposed, sturdy and somewhat puritanical, as befitted a popular leader. 
The ancient lady of Sir William Phipps eyed them from the wall in rough and farthingale, an imperious old dame not unsuspected of witchcraft. John Winslow, then a very young man, wore the expression of warlike enterprise which long afterward made him a distinguished general. Their personal friends were recognized at a glance. In most of the pictures, the whole mind and character were brought out on the countenance and concentrated into a single look, so that, to speak paradoxically, the originals hardly resembled themselves so strikingly as the portraits did. Among these modern worthies there were two old bearded saints who had almost vanished into the darkening canvas. There was also a pale but unfaded Madonna, who had perhaps been worshipped in Rome, and now regarded the lovers with such a mild and holy look that they longed to worship too. "'How singular a thought,' observed Walter Ludlow, "'that this beautiful face has been beautiful for above two hundred years. Oh, if all beauty would endure so well! Do you not envy her, Eleanor?' "'If earth were heaven, I might,' she replied. "'But where all things fade, how miserable to be the one that could not fade!' "'This dark old St. Peter has a fierce and ugly scowl, saint though he be,' continued Walter. "'He troubles me, but the Virgin looks kindly at us.' "'Yes, but very sorrowfully, methinks,' said Eleanor. "'The easel stood beneath these three old pictures,' sustaining one that had been recently commenced. After a little inspection, they began to recognize the features of their own minister, the Reverend Dr. Coleman, growing into shape and life, as it were, out of a cloud. "'Kind old man!' exclaimed Eleanor. "'He gazes at me as if he were about to utter a word of paternal advice.' "'And at me,' said Walter." as if he were about to shake his head and rebuke me for some suspected iniquity, but so does the original. I shall never feel quite comfortable under his eye till we stand before him to be married. They now heard a footstep on the floor, and turning, beheld the painter, who had been some moments in the room and listened to a few of their remarks. He was a middle-aged man with a countenance well worthy of his own pencil, Indeed, by the picturesque though careless arrangement of his rich dress, and perhaps because his soul dwelt always among painted shapes, he looked somewhat like a portrait himself. His visitors were sensible of a kindred between the artist and his works, and felt as if one of the pictures had stepped from the canvas to salute them. Walter Ludlow, who was slightly known to the painter, explained the object of their visit. While he spoke, a sunbeam was falling athwart his figure and Eleanor's, with so happy an effect that they also seemed living pictures of youth and beauty gladdened by bright fortune. The artist was evidently struck. "'My easel is occupied for several ensuing days, and my stay in Boston must be brief,' said he, thoughtfully. Then, after an observant glance, he added, but your wishes shall be gratified, though I disappoint the Chief Justice and Madam Oliver. I must not lose this opportunity for the sake of painting a few L's of broadcloth and brocade. 
The painter expressed a desire to introduce both their portraits into one picture and represent them engaged in some appropriate action. This plan would have delighted the lovers, but was necessarily rejected because so large a space of canvas would have been unfit for the room which it was intended to decorate. Two half-length portraits were therefore fixed upon. After they had taken leave, Walter Ludlow asked Eleanor, with a smile, whether she knew what an influence over their fates the painter was about to acquire. "'The old women of Boston affirm,' continued he, "'that after he has once got possession of a person's face and figure, "'he may paint him in any act or situation whatever, "'and the picture will be prophetic. "'Do you believe it?' "'Not quite,' said Eleanor, smiling. "'Yet if he has such magic, "'there is something so gentle in his manner "'that I am sure he will use it well.' It was the painter's choice to proceed with both the portraits at the same time, assigning as a reason, in the mystical language which he sometimes used, that the faces threw light upon each other. Accordingly, he gave now a touch to Walter, and now to Eleanor, and the features of one and the other began to start forth so vividly that it appeared as if his triumphant art would actually disengage them from the canvas. Amid the rich light and deep shade, they beheld their phantom selves, but, though the likeness promised to be perfect, they were not quite satisfied with the expression. It seemed more vague than in most of the painter's works. He, however, was satisfied with the prospect of success, and, being much interested in the lovers, employed his leisure moments, unknown to them, in making a crayon sketch of their two figures. During their sittings, he engaged them in conversation and kindled up their faces with characteristic traits which, though continually varying, it was his purpose to combine and fix. At length, he announced that at their next visit both the portraits would be ready for delivery. If my pencil will but be true to my conception in the few last touches which I meditate, observed he, these two pictures will be my very best performances. Seldom indeed has an artist such subjects. While speaking, he still bent his penetrative eye upon them, nor withdrew it till they had reached the bottom of the stairs. Nothing in the whole circle of human vanities takes stronger hold of the imagination than this affair of having a portrait painted. Yet why should it be so? The looking-glass, the polished globes of the andirons, the mirror-like water, and all other reflecting surfaces continually present us with portraits, or rather ghosts, of ourselves, which we glance at and straightway forget them. But we forget them only because they vanish. It is the idea of duration, of earthly immortality, that gives such a mysterious interest to our own portraits. Walter and Eleanor were not insensible to this feeling, and hastened to the painter's room punctually at the appointed hour to meet those pictured shapes which were to be their representatives with posterity. The sunshine flashed after them into the apartment, but left it somewhat gloomy as they closed the door. Their eyes were immediately attracted to their portraits, 
which rested against the farthest wall of the room. At the first glance through the dim light in the distance, seeing themselves in precisely their natural attitudes and with all the air that they recognized so well, they uttered a simultaneous exclamation of delight. "'There we stand!' cried Walter enthusiastically. "'Fixed in sunshine forever! No dark passions can gather on our faces!' "'No!' said Eleanor more calmly. "'No dreary change can sadden us!' This was said while they were approaching, and had yet gained only an imperfect view of the pictures. The painter, after saluting them, busied himself at a table in completing a crayon sketch, leaving his visitors to form their own judgment as to his perfected labors. At intervals he sent a glance from beneath his deep eyebrows, watching their countenances in profile with his pencil suspended over the sketch. They had now stood some moments, each in front of the other's picture, contemplating it with entranced attention, but without uttering a word. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M, for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives. You can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.